Before we start this week's episode of Infection Control Matters, could I just remind you that Brett's created a website for us. You can now subscribe and receive an email when a new episode comes out. You can also search collections of our podcasts on particular topics. So if you're interested in something like healthcare associated pneumonia or surgical site infection, for example, you can find all of our podcasts on that particular topic with details of the people we've spoken to. Just go to www.infectioncontrolmatters.com and enter your email and you'll be notified when a new episode appears. Well, hi, everybody. It's uh, Brett here and I've got Martin for our latest edition of Infection Control Matters. G'day, Martin. G'day, Brett. I thought you'd forgotten who you were for a moment then, I have to say. Yeah. And I thought, I think I almost forgot. It's, it's late in the day. <laughs> I've had a long day. Yeah. <laughs> then still going. Yeah. Anyway, on to more exciting things. Um, this week, we thought we'd chat about ice machines. Now, I, I sort of thought for a while ice machines weren't used and a lot of facilities have been taken out, but um, I've seen them in facilities uh, in recent times. Uh, I think they can play an important part of uh, of care for different um, client and patient groups. But managing them has always been a problem. I always found them a nightmare to manage. I remember taking several ice machines out when I was in infection control leading a hospital in the UK. What about you, Martin? Did you come across many ice machines when you were working? Sadly so. <laughs> like you, they were the sort of thing that would give me a cold sweat and not because of the ice. Yeah, it was, the, um, <laughs> the issue was always, who the hell owns this? Yeah. You know, whose mm. job is it to clean it out? And not to incubate it, it potentially too. Yeah. Even though they're cold. Warm, nice and warm around it. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. they're allegedly cold. Allegedly but, uh, cold, yes. So there was a paper in... General Hospital Infection, Margot Casals was the author on that with a number of others. And the paper was called How Clean Is Your Ice Machine? Um, there were some other parts of the title, but I really quite was caught by the title. I do like catchy titles like How Clean Is Your Ice Machine? Um, anyway, they, they really were interested in this idea of ice machines and are they clean um, and how clean are they? And in the introduction, actually, what I've found, and we've harped on about this a fair bit on our podcasts in the past about following manufacturers' instructions. They make uh, interesting points that there's not really decent guidance out there at a sort of jurisdictional, perhaps government and other types of levels about what to do with ice machines. Um, but the default is follow your manufacturers' instructions. <laughs> yes. And uh, we know how well that goes with many things. But um, what they did was they did follow manufacturers' instructions for uh, for their hospital and made sure that the manufacturers' instructions um, were followed, which includes, you know, checking the external parts and um, doing a machine disinfection uh, every six months. Um, and they wanted to know then if doing this regularly could you still find um bugs uh and um i thought yeah i thought it was quite a sort of an interesting um interesting take on on a, on perhaps what could be a common problem 
thing about manufacturer's instructions are, are they validated manufacturer's instructions or are they mm. just something the manufacturer thinks that it will work? Thinks it's a good and that's idea. that's the issue I've had. You know, if it's not designed to be a healthcare device and mm. many that are purchased for healthcare are not specifically designed for a healthcare setting, nobody thinks I've got to do a validated procedure here to make sure that this is safe to use. And I want to use the word safe to use because as you're going to discuss in the paper, I wouldn't necessarily say that these are safe to use, especially as they're generally used with the most vulnerable patients in the place, well, the that's longer-standing right. patients. You know, I think about where we were using them and where I've seen them used now in places I've get involved with, and uh, they're often not the type. They're, they're, they're patients who we probably fall into many high-risk or risk categories, at least, anyway. So, yes. Um, yeah, and, I, and there's a lot of complicated things with ice machines because you know you could go and you could go and look at the machine itself, the ice. But as we know with things like sinks, there's a lot of things that happen upstream that could impact on what happens as well with the quality of the water, uh, with plumbing, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a lot of different things, and the authors go into great detail in this paper about how they considered all those upstream related potential confounders and yeah they put filters and things uh there were filters on the pre pre the ice machine as well to try and um uh to look at that they also looked at biofilms as part of their sampling and and swarming processes uh, through the methods as well and the methods in the paper really well described and quite detailed so if you ever uh, have an interest in how am i going to go about this sort of practical element of of Finding pathogens in a, or potentially finding pathogens in an ice machine, and then I, you know, the methods in this paper might be a good starting point. But what do you reckon they found, Martin, in in the water samples in the ice? Well, I've read the paper, so obviously oh, I know. So it's yeah. almost a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, non-tuberculous mycobacteria, but yeah. uh, but a lot of yeasts as well. I, yeah. And, Sort of disappointingly for me, they didn't identify the yeast down to species. It was just candidates. Mm. I know. And, and given the global issues with yeah, 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 that's right, forty percent candida. I mean, and given the you know in critical care around the world, candida auris is a, a bit of an issue. It would be fascinating to know if that was implicated in this because nobody really knows exactly where the reservoirs are. That we feel it's likely to be environment related, but also biofilm as well. But yeah. you just don't know from this paper. So no, it could just be. A, I Long agree with Jenny. Yeah, that's right. I could have been, and I, like, I found that too. When I saw the Canada species, I went, "Oh, well, what's what type?" Um, because I was really fascinated to see whether they found some of the things that, that you just mentioned. You know, it was done in a big hospital too, seven hundred and seventy odd bed hospital, and I think got thirty six different ice machines. So, Sydney is a lot of ice, but um, yeah, you're right. Canada species, Enterococcus, uh, I think, was also found. And Pseudomonas originosa was also found. You know, you're right, but the Canada's was species was was quite high at forty percent. But I think you know finding Pseudomonas is somewhat um, problematic when we know that Pseudomonas is such a problem in wounds and other things within healthcare environments. And we're seeing you know multi-resistant strains of Pseudomonas really cause problems. That uh, you know, I think that's a really important finding from this um, study in terms of the pathogens that they found. The other sort of side of things, I guess, is the biofilms side of it and uh, identifying pathogens from um, biofilms. 
And I always find that interesting because how how disturbed are the biofilms going to be anyway in in general use and and it's this perennial sort of question I guess Martin about biofilms and their their role, but nonetheless um, there were biofilms and um, those biofilms were found to have pathogens in them. The other thing with the Enterococcus the findings of finding Enterococcus in the ice machines it was also interesting because I kind of wonder how the Enterococcus get into an ice machine. Uh, I suspect when dirty hands go in to pick things out, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. or can you know a non particularly clean container goes in. I'm not. I don't know what this ice machine looks mm. like, but generally, you have some sort of scoop that goes in to pick out the ice, or does it actually dispense into a container? I don't know. It mm. may dispense into a container, but it's, it's somehow it's got in there, hasn't it? Yeah. And how's the pseudomonas got through the filters and contaminating the the water inlet? So the filters maybe aren't being changed or. Um, Mm. Well, they were following manufacturer's instructions, though. So um, yes. maybe the manufacturer's instructions went up to scratch on this one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. And, and that's where you sort of think about the, the practical nature. If you were choosing an ice machine, if you had to have an ice machine in your facility, um, I'd be certainly thinking about things that don't involve people putting their hands in the ice machine um, wherever possible. Um, you know, sometimes I've seen things like, you know, the scoops being soaked in a Milton solution next to the ice machine and things like that but i think if we're finding enterococcus it's it's not ideal it's, it's something it's probably contamination coming back from those who are using it rather than you'd hope something upstream but you don't prefer that some of the other um organisms could well be upstream so i guess the other sort of thing i found with this then would be okay so if you were going to put these machines in your facility what would you do to try and make them as safe as possible. Um, but I think, I mean, you go through a proper procurement procedure, don't you? Because I, I found that ice machines would turn up being bought by a charitable group, hmm. you know, uh, generous people donating something they feel would be nice to the hospital, you know, oh, I'd like to have ice. So we'll donate one of those. Hmm. And it doesn't often, well, it didn't used to go through proper procurement tra- channels. So it hmm. just appears and it's plumbed in before you know about it. So I, I think if you're going to have something like that, then it has to go through a proper procurement process where the, the, the infection prevention team get a chance to scrutinize the cleaning instructions and actually have a look at the design of the machine. You know, yes. how easy is it to clean? You know, what's the plumbing like? What are the filtration systems like? How onerous is the maintenance program going to be? Get it all completely agreed exactly who's going to do it, and but but see if the manufacturers have got some validated cleaning instructions where they've actually had it in use in a similar type of environment, and they know that their procedure works mm. because clearly in this case it didn't. No, that's right. And the other two things I was thinking of was you know if I was, I was getting that scenario now, I'd be certainly asking for validated um, manufacturers' instructions. And of course, all those things you mentioned about the implications and who's doing what and get all that agreed to. The other thing I'd be keen to know is about the design of the machine and how is that machine designed to prevent contamination and and also multiplication of pathogens, particularly gram negatives and perhaps even some of the fungi. Um, and, and what does that company what can they provide you by way of evidence that they've thought about these things and have got some perhaps some kind of engineering process that will help mitigate that risk in some way, shape, or form? And unless we ask for these things, I suspect they're um, they're never going to change. 
problem is it's, it'll be a department like critical care department who would like to have one of these because they can see mm. it's beneficial to patient experience, you know, mm. et cetera. Um, so when we come along with a list of reasons why they shouldn't have it, <laughs> it doesn't make us that popular. And, no, and that, that is the problem is trying to find some way of making it safe enough. Yeah. So also trying to educate staff on a critical care unit. Okay, if you're going to have one of these, these are absolutely the things you're going to have to be looking out for and design into your surveillance algorithm something that would be quite sensitive to, enough to pick up something because, mm. you know, what many are you going to do when you find species? these pathogens? Yeah, well, you gonna, yeah. This is the trick. It's a bit like the endoscopes, isn't yeah. it, when you start finding stuff in endoscopes. Yeah. What, what, what are you going to do? So if, you, if you've got something and you've identified the pseudomonas in there and some, I don't know, um, well, let's just say it's Canada species, but you'd probably hopefully better identify what type. Uh, but just to say pseudomonas, are you going to you going to shut it down? Are you going to? Oh gonna- yeah, I'm going to punch the air. I'm going to say, get it in the skip. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would say, is there any way we can actually properly decontaminate this machine in a validated manner? Which may mean stripping the whole thing out. Mm. And um, yeah, the you interesting know, I don't thing- know how 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 replaceable how some of that. the parts are, the pipework, etc. Yeah, that's right. that practical. And yeah, and going back to the thing I mentioned at the start, where in manufacturer's instructions say, uh, uh, in this instance for these machines at least, um, a complete um, ice machine disinfection every six months, and that's what they were doing. I wonder how effective that is uh, actually removing it if you've got a pathogen in there. Um, might be good for well, a preventative. Well, if you've got a biofilm in there, how do you get rid of that? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to, that's physical uh, mm. attempt to get rid of it. You know, mm. if you've got an established biofilm and mm. some of the parts, you may only be able to get a chemical through. You know, mm. we know just putting chemicals through scopes is very bad news. You've got to mm. use a manual method. So is yeah. there a manual method that you'll be able to use to actually to incorporate in the six-monthly decontamination process. And then how do you validate it afterwards? You know, is there some yeah. way of testing it to show that what you've done has made it safe again for a period of time? And is six months, because that's a blanket number, six months, it yeah. does, doesn't take into account individual circumstances. You may, no. if you're working in a really warm, temperate climate, you know, a lot of humidity around, you may have to up that to every three months. That's right. And look. They, they, every machine will be different with those requirements too, with their own different instructions. I guess the other thing was we need to ask these questions of manufacturers uh, and those selling these products because unless we do that, there won't be the driver momentum to try and A, redesign these things to reduce risk and or provide us with better information. And I think we're seeing that in other elements of IPC where we're asking for more information about specific things and when more people ask for that, it's the onus is on uh, some of the companies to provide that evidence or provide information on how they've considered that. So mm. perhaps that's another I mean, it's, And it's down to individual organisations and what your in- incoming water supply is like because in this particular case, some of the chemicals used were actually causing phosphates to pro- uh, precipitate mm. out in the machines, possibly enhancing growth and actually blocking some of the filters as well. So. Yeah. And that would depend on the quality of what, what's your local water uh, intake yeah. like as well because people have, you know, you can have hard water, soft water, mm. high, high, high minerals, lower in minerals. Mm. Well, we're using natural I don't know rain enough water. about it. I'm, mm. I'm not an expert no, in not this a- area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's um, fascinating. Anyway, I just thought I'd uh, run that by. It's coming into our summer here in Australia, so the ice machines might get cranked up a bit more, but um, maybe not so much soon. 
air for you, Martin. Well, it's been been 30 plus degrees in the UK for the last few days and it's supposedly heading into autumn. So mm. uh, it's, I think it's a changing world, isn't it? Mm. And this is maybe something else we've got to think about as we yeah. go forward as well. Absolutely. As temperatures increase, you know, can we put pressure on a couple of good manufacturers to produce something that could be demonstrably safe um, mm. in, in a healthcare setting? You know, maybe with some removable components you could run through a proper automated uh, decontamination process. Yeah. And maybe that would be yeah. a good way to go about it. Send it to your local sterile services department and have them decontaminate some of the innards. I don't know. Well, always good chatting about these things, man. And um, uh, yeah, until uh, next time on Infection Control Matters, it's uh, bye from me. And bye from me. Bye.